Welcome back, everybody, to the Into the Light podcast. We're so happy that you're here today, and we have an amazing, amazing story to tell you guys today. Yes, today we have Tony and Bree Robinson with us today from Beaver, Utah, and they were brought to us because our awesome friends from our ward, Janessa, these are her aunt and uncle. So they came to our Relief Society one day and came and talked to us about what we're going to hear today, and we're going to talk a little more in depth. And so we're so grateful y'all are on today. Seriously, they came all the way from Beaver, and it's Bree's birthday. So we're so yeah, grateful happy you're birthday here. To Bree. Oh, Bree. Yeah. Yay. No, a way to remember. No, it's <laughs> but we are just going to start off with everything. Today's episode is going to be about addiction, and specifically Tony dealing with addiction throughout his life. And Bree is his wife, kind of talking about her path through it, too. And kind of how she instilled hope throughout it. And so, yeah, let's get started. Awesome. So we'd love to start with you, Tony. If you could just take us through how you grew up and how the gospel was in your home or not in your home as a child. Okay. So I grew up in a home with their good parents. I had really good parents. They were kind and loving. I went to church growing up with my aunts and uncles and my grandmas. And not really consistently, but... I was, I went and I was, I stayed there till I was about 10 or 12 in the church. And then my father basically told me if I didn't want to go anymore, I didn't have to. So I quit going. Mm -hmm. And were either of your parents strong in the gospel or not? No, not really. They, they'd grown up in it, but never really were very strong in it. But my mom believed in it. So she made sure that us kids had a, a foundation. Mm -hmm. My mom was pretty strong, but she grew up, you know, pretty good with her parents. And at about, oh, you know, we did a lot of things together as a family. We were always together and stuff. My mom and dad were a, a country band. My mom played drums. My dad played guitar. Wow. So awesome. they were playing at the bars a lot. And so that, you know, brought drinking into our lives and partying. And we had, there was a lot of parties at our home and, and drinking quite a bit. So I was, I probably started drinking alcohol when I was around 14 and started smoking weed and cigarettes around 16 to, you know, 18 and on and off. And did you have siblings in your home? Yes, a younger brother and sister. My mom and dad were divorced when I was 18, and that affected my younger brother and sister quite a bit more than me because I was a little older. And that was due to, to drinking alcohol and partying and stuff like that, and mm -hmm. just the effects of that and what it does in your home. And so that left us kids. We would pretty much do whatever we want whenever we wanted, you know, and so I was a hard worker. I, I was brought up to be a hard worker. So that was a, a, a saving grace for me. That's, I, I truly believe that was part of what was helped, helped to keep me in a place where I could be saved. Was your work ethic? Yeah, work ethic. Wow. Yeah. And so I got married my first time when I was about 21, 22. And that would last for about eight years. But due to my partying lifestyle and methamphetamines, I, which I got involved in, and cocaine and stuff like that, and some other stuff. That marriage fell apart, you know, after eight years. And I cleaned up for about a year because I didn't want that lifestyle anymore. And I met Bree while I was, while I was cleaned up. And the first time I met her, well, I better be, I knew her. Mm -hmm. The first time we hung out, I knew I was going to marry her. I just knew it that very moment. And That's so awesome. we end up Getting married about a year later and having three beautiful children. Yeah. 
three daughters, you know, they're the first two came along pretty quick in 2000, 2002. And then the caboose came along in 2012. <laughs> <laughs> well, Did you have kids before in your no, first marriage? No, no other okay. kids before. These are no. your first kids. So I didn't think I was ever really going to have kids. I had pretty much given up on the idea because I was 32. Yeah. You know, I didn't think I was going to have any more kids. But when I met Brian, we got married and she became pregnant. That was like the greatest gift to me I could have mm-hmm. ever had. But apparently I didn't appreciate it enough because I, I stayed, I was still partying and and then I let meth come back into my life again. And I had, I, I had control of it pretty good. I was a hard worker. I took good care of my family. Like I coached all my girls' basketball teams. I was involved in the search and rescue. I was president of the car club. I was involved in the Republican Party. All these things. You were a functional and I was, addict. I was a functioning addict, yeah. Highly functioning. Yeah, highly functioning. And, I, and it was really hard mm-hmm. to to complete all of those responsibilities while abusing methamphetamines. Yeah. But I I really did not want to be known as a drug addict. It was a real, <laughs> you know, it's it kind of something a, I was hiding and fighting against. Yeah. Kind of a double life, right? Yeah, it was a double life. Yeah. And so I'd fought this for, oh, 15 years, 16 years. And finally, the methamphetamine started to take over my life. And there was a stint there where I'd I'd got back to church for about a year while me and Bree were married. I'd I'd cleaned up because she'd had enough me and I promised her I'd straighten up. And I lasted about eight or nine months. And then I just completely went off the, yeah. the deep end with, with methamphetamines. During this time, my wife, Bree, had went to the temple, received her endowment. She stayed faithful. And, wow. You know, and, and I'd seen it. I'd seen her glowing when she came out of the temple. Mm. I'd seen that. But I could not really get there, you know. I didn't really want that because I felt like I, I felt like at that time that the gospel was restricting mm. that I would lose my freedoms that I had of doing whatever I wanted whenever I wanted. Yeah, and I not realizing that truly I was trapped in the chains of hell, you know. And so, so, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just I wanted to I want to dive deeper into your story, but I think it, it'd be important as well to interweave. Bree's story into this. So it's okay if we ask the same question to you, Bree, about kind of how you grew up and I guess how you ended up meeting Tony in in the first place. Well, like I said, we did know each other because our, you know, our families, we didn't live very far apart, even though there's a pretty good gap in our ages, we didn't live very far apart. And so in a small community, it's easy to know everybody. Hmm. But I grew up, gosh, I'm, I'm an emotional person. It's just what totally it is. Okay. But so I grew up on a farm, actually. We lived so for a pretty significant part of my life, like from end of April through like the beginning of August, we were pretty isolated. So we have a farm by Cofort and that's where we grew up. Okay. So my parents became really active in the gospel when I was, oh, I want to say five or six. And we drove to town every Sunday and were very faithful. Um, my parents were married in the temple when I was. I actually, shockingly, it came to me. Why well, put a box in the car and then shove some in my purse? Just because I just know what I am. But Anyways, but my parents were sealed in the temple right after I turned eight and were really, really active. My mom was in the... Shoot, I'm sorry. Oh, you shares. 
<laughs> Shout out to Katie grab. for getting your attention. My mom was in the primary presidency and Relief Society, and my dad was an elder scorn and elder scorn president and old habits die hard. My dad is an alcoholic mm. and he was sober for a really long time. And my family fell apart when I was 14. That was, that was my next question is if yes. alcohol or anything played a role in your family too. It absolutely did. Yep. My mom is a wonderful lady, but she's also an alcoholic. But gosh, she does amazing stuff for our family, doesn't she? Told person. She's a great lady. Yeah, and so is my dad. But was this a shock to you at 14 or were you pretty already aware of it? No, it was pretty shocking. Okay. You know, because my parents did not fight around us. Like, I mean, it was just pretty shocking. Mm -hmm. So when my dad just made choices that did not keep their marriage together, Mm -hmm. uh, and then they both fell apart after, you know, my dad completely left the church. He was excommunicated and, and it took him a long time to come back. And we had been really active, you know, in the gospel and stuff. And, and I tried to stay active in the gospel but in a small town. It's really hard to, especially, you know, back then it's been just over 30 years ago. It's hard um, in a small community to mm -hmm. rise above that because it was, you know what I mean? Just a hard thing in a small community. Yeah. Everybody people, knows everybody. Everybody knows everybody. And, and unfortunately, the youth pay the heaviest consequence, you know, to an adult's That's sad, yeah. choices and actions. And, and it's hard. It's really hard. So I myself didn't make great choices. I kind of partied a little bit when I was 16 and 17. Never got into the drugs. That was not my... It was not my playground. I just was not interested in it. I did dabble a little bit with pop when Tony and I were dating just a little bit, but again, not my playground. Just really didn't hold that much of an interest to me. Mm -hmm. So we drank a little bit, but not, I was never a really a big partier. Mm -hmm. Just, just was not my, not my thing. But I was a waitress <laughs> at our local, it's called El Bambi. And Tony used to come in and he was always so nice to me and just, he was just a fun, just a kind, nice person. And so I just had the biggest crush on him <laughs> <laughs> when I was, you know, when I was a senior in high school, I just thought, oh, you know, yeah, I super just had a big crush on him. Not just all there is to it. And I really liked his vehicle. I liked his truck. <laughs> <laughs> it's always the truck, right, Tony? Well, yes, it's our it's our family joke, isn't it, Tone? But anyways, yeah, my girls are car obsessed too. That's okay. But we're I mean, you know, it's just funny things. But you know, and then I just kinda did my own thing for a few years. I left Beaver for a while and then come home and when I came home it was meant to be because he was divorced. Mm. And my really good friend Becky was like, Hey, I really want you to go on a date with Tony. And I'm like, Perfect oh, to get the set sign up. me up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally go on a date and and when that, that, yeah, that first night that we hung out, I felt pretty much the same way because I, you know, I'd had those feelings going for a long time. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it just worked out. It worked out well. That's, that's uh, honestly as as, so cute. As as that <laughs> I goes, love it. Yeah. So mm -hmm. if we could, if we go back to your story, Tony, back before your first marriage, 
you talked about how it started with alcohol, right? Yes. And then you, you went to weed. Yes. What was the, kind of the progression? Because you went all the way, you said cocaine, methamphetamine. Yes. Well, the weed started about 16 and, and just being in the party scene, uh, you know, there was speed around, there was mm -hmm. cocaine around. And eventually I started messing with that and, you know, and we would come and we'd, we'd make trips out of town and buy ounces of cocaine, you know. That got, well, that's what got me started to begin with was the cocaine. Then I, then methamphetamines just became readily, readily available. It was easier to get. Yeah. And so I started using that and, you know, and as I was using it, I had some struggles with my father in our business. You know, my dad was an alcoholic. Mm. So I was having to work like 14, 15 hours a day to make the business stay open. I'd run the business all day, then do the work at night. And so I used methamphetamine to help me yeah, do that. Yeah, methamphetamines help yeah, me stay away. it did help me yeah. do that. Okay, so yeah. from, I guess my understanding of substances isn't very high, but alcohol is very kind of, it's not very easy to function with, obviously, because yeah. you're everywhere. But meth, you can pretty much function uh, on you it. Or you no? have to have a strong mind to function on, function on it. Okay. The methamphetamines nowadays is different. It's more psychedelic in your mind. The meth we had back then was just like a speed. Like a stimulant it, type. Yeah, a stimulant. Yeah. It's different now because of the chemicals they put in it. It's more, it messes with your head a lot more. It's really hard to get through it. Okay. Because in the progression of my using meth, they changed the ingredients they were putting in it. And it became harder to function mentally with it because it was more of a, a psychedelic drug than a, than a stimulant. Okay. Where you're, where you're that, tripping and. Yeah. That started to do that to me, you know, mm -hmm. and it was really hard. And so. Did you, did you recognize what was happening? Like the tolerance okay. building up sure. with all the different substances you're using? Absolutely. I used yeah. to sit in my truck at night and beat on the string while I asked Heavenly Father, why me? Why me? Mm -hmm. Why can't I quit? What's wrong with me? What's. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm messing up my life. Why can't I get away from this? You know? Was that always the case when you were using meth, though? A lot of, some, sometimes I had fun with it. Me, me and a lot of my friends, you know, I would always leave my family to go do it. So I didn't really feel good about it all the time. But, you know, what it does to you is it makes everything go away. Except what you're thinking about. What, what you're thinking about. Like, we would go out and we would use meth all night. We'd hunt arrowheads at night with, with flashlights. Stuff like that, just crazy stuff. That, you know, you you know, stay up all night long, ride around in our truck all night long, you know, drinking. Yeah. And the next day too, and the next night and the next day. <laughs> and by that time you were really, you know, mentally shot. Yeah. You know, because not a lot of food, not a lot of liquids, you know. It would mess you up pretty good. Then I'd come home and I'd clean up for a week and tell my wife I was sorry and I was going to be better and I'd clean up for a week and I'd go back and do it again. Mm -hmm. This went on for years. You know, and it Could put her you... through a, a lot of struggles. It was really hard on her because okay. she believed in me, you know, because I was a good, I was a hard worker and I was a good father. Like on the back, I knew I was messing up by using the drugs in the first place. So on the backside of that, I would overcompensate mm. by being extra diligent with my children. I would make sure I was there for their basketball. I coached them. I was, I took them with me all the time. I hunted with them. I did everything with them because... I wanted to be, I overcompensated because I knew I was failing, Yeah, you know? And so I was trying to be a really good dad because I knew I was failing as a husband and, and, and sometimes as a father too. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's the thing about addiction. A lot of addicts will excel at every other area in their life, right? To try and cover up where they feel like they're failing. Yeah. I've always been of the belief that addicts are the most resourceful people 
in the world. They are. They will find a way. Like they yeah. will find a way to make everything seem like it's okay, right? On the outside. <laughs> yeah. So through this, after that, after the little stint of me going, you know, to church and coming back to going back to addiction, I thought the I thought the church was actually taking my wife away from me. So I got pretty angry for the last little while. And I started to cuss the church. I was blaming my dad for my addiction because I, I was from a broken family. So I told him it was his fault that I was the way I was. Yeah. Why did you feel that the church was taking your wife away? Because I wanted her to come and hang out and party with me. And she wanted to take our children to church and, yeah. and do the right things. Yeah. You know, she'd been to the temple and she was going a different direction than me. And so I was cussing the prophet Joseph Smith. I was anti-Mormon. I mean... I was he digging. Was I was not in, a nice human. Yeah, I was. <laughs> yeah. I was digging up anti-Mormon stuff anywhere I could find it, and putting it in her face any chance I got and in her families, and we had some pretty bad arguments at times and stuff like that. And it got pretty. To, it got to the point where the police were watching me. I was going to lose my business. I was des the business was in really bad trouble. Mm. My marriage was in shambles. My wife had had enough of me. She was ready to leave me because. She put up, she gave me enough chances. You yeah. Know? And it was starting to look pretty bad. And so one day I figured, well, it was about two weeks before I went home. A friend of mine stopped by and he worked at the correctional facility. He was a good friend and he stopped by and he told me something. He said, Tony, the only thing wrong with you is the drugs you're using. And I got pretty mad at him. Yeah. Sounds like a slap in the face. Yeah. Because yeah, <laughs> it wasn't, that's not what it was, it was everything else. <laughs> and about two weeks after that, I, I got really angry at my business one day because I couldn't see no way out and I was in anguish, you know, I, I couldn't see any escape from it. So I decided I was going to go home and leave my wife mm -hmm. and my three daughters. And so I walked out of my business. I headed home to leave my wife and three daughters and I lived 10 miles out of town. And as I was driving out there, I got right to the top of the hill above my home and out of nowhere, I hear, don't do it. I heard it plain as day and it scared me. And I pulled over by the dumpsters above my home and I got out of my truck and I was walking around and I didn't know what to do. And for some reason, I called up her father, Bob, because I thought he might understand because of what he'd been through in his life. And I told Bob that I was going to leave his daughter and he told me to get it done. He'd had enough of me. And I told Bob I couldn't do it because God has stopped me. And Bob says, wait right there, Tony, I'll be right there. And as I stood there and waited for him by the dumpsters, I knew who the problem was. It was me. It was all me. It wasn't everybody else. It was me. And Bob came up there and picked me up and told me to get in. He was going to take me for a ride. And as we were driving down the road, he asked me what was bothering me. And I said, Bob, I've been using this methamphetamine my whole life and I can't get away from it. It's got a hold of me and I can't get rid of it. And he says, Tony, say a prayer. So right then and there, I asked God if he would save my family. I told him I would do whatever he said. Amen. And Bob took me to the tailgate of the truck and gave me a priesthood blessing. And in that blessing, he expelled all unclean spirits and gave me a blessing to have the strength to overcome. And he took me home to my family, to my wife and kids. And I walked in the house. I stood in front of my wife and my three daughters. And I told him everything. And it was pretty bad for my daughters, you know, to hear that coming from their dad, that he was an addict. And I asked him if they could forgive me. And my wife was pretty hesitant, but she decided she decided she's going to give me just one more chance. 
it was very slim too because she'd already made up her mind she'd have enough for me and that night i was laying in bed and i slept for about an hour and i and I woke up and I walked in my living room and I fell down on the floor on my face and I started crying because I'd hurt, been hurting everyone in my family and I was talking to God about it, how sorry I was and how sorry I was for hurting him and everyone else. And all of a sudden I hear a voice say, you are forgiven. Then the voice says, I want you to testify in my name, whoever I tell you to, whenever I tell you to. And I want your children raised in a righteous home. If you do this, I will save your family and you will stand on my right hand. That's what the voice told me. Promised him I would, even though I didn't know anything about the gospel. I knew nothing. I never read the scriptures. You know, I didn't know anything. I promised him I would. And I knew I'd been forgiven. I woke up the next day and I had no desire for the drugs anymore. And my, my old life was washed clean. I decided right then and there that I was going to be the best father and best husband I, was, I could be, and I was going to do whatever it took to make it happen. So I told my wife and everyone what had happened to me, and I, they didn't really believe me. They didn't know what was going on. They thought I was going crazy. Yeah. And I thought I was maybe going crazy, too. I, I had called up the state president in the, in our, at our stake, and I, I told him, I'm like, all these, all these crazy things are happening to me. I need to come talk to you. And he goes, come on in. And so I went and told him what happened to me, and he told me that it was the greatest thing that could ever happen to someone. It was called a true conversion. And then he was very happy for me. If I did what God had told me to do, if I studied the scriptures, if I stayed faithful and went to church, that, that I could really, that I could make it, you know? And so I went home, and for the next year straight, I went straight to work and straight home, and I read scriptures every night, every day. And that's all I did, and I testified in the Lord's name to everyone that I can talk to. I mean, they had, they called me and they had me speak in every ward. I spoke in different towns for the state conference. I just told everybody my story, what the Lord did for me. My conversion story was the same story I'm telling you. And through this, after about six months or so, they called me to be a teacher at the correctional facility. And I really didn't know anything about the gospel. I just barely started reading the Bible and, and the Book of Mormon, you know, and and I just finished the Book of Mormon about the time they called me. And I found out it was true. In Moroni chapter 7, when I was reading, Have angels ceased to minister unto the children of men? Nay, they have not. I knew the Book of Mormon was true. First time I read it. I went to the correctional facility to teach, and they gave me a, a book called Gospel Principles. <laughs> And on the front of it, it's First uh, Nephi 15, 17 or 15, 14. It says, I'll paraphrase it. It says that they may come to the knowledge of him and his principles and know how to come unto him to be saved. Something like that. I can't mm -hmm. record it exactly. And anyway, in my setting apart, her father set me apart because he was in the presidency. branch presidency out there. <laughs> and I'm very thankful for him because he knew exactly how to, to help. Yeah, I want to I want to dive into that. Later. Yeah. I'll keep going. And he's in the setting apart of my first calling, he said that he would study the lesson three times each time that I would have the Spirit to be with me when I gave it. And I took that to heart. And I was, I was teaching lessons two to three times a month. And every time I studied the lesson three times thoroughly, and I exhausted every scripture, mm -hmm. every single scripture right down to the yeah. T. And I went out there and I taught, and I had, and God was with me. And not only was he with me, 
but that instilled the gospel principles in me. It was the greatest blessing I ever had because of my teaching that, I also learned it and it was, it changed me. Okay. It made me very strong. I started building a strong foundation in me. And so I was very thankful for that. And one of the times I was out there, I mean, I had very wonderful experiences. There's, there's people that have escaped and have, are living good lives now. I watched miracles happen out there. But one of the times I was out there, I was, I just bore testimony of what Jesus Christ did for me, how I escaped the chains of hell because I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And when I was done telling these brothers my story, one of the brothers on the front row, it was his second time at church, he stands up and he looks at me and he says, I just closed my eyes and I seen angels in heaven smiling down this meeting, he told me. Mm. And his eyes were as big around as, as silver dollars. I knew he'd seen it. I knew it. Yeah. And I went home. I thought, wow, that's so cool. And I went home. By now I'm reading the Doctrine and Covenants because I was just eating up scripture. I was just chewing it up, you know, because I'm reading from five o'clock at night till 10 o'clock at night every single night, you know. I mean, I have David J. Ridge's books. I have on <laughs> Jesus of Christ. I read every, everything I get my hands on. Yeah. And I'm reading the Doctrine and Covenants. And two days later, after he told me that, I hit chapter 62, verse 3. And there it is. And it says, Nevertheless, you are blessed for the testimony which you have borne is recorded in heaven for the angels to look upon and they rejoice over you and your sins are forgiven. And he did see angels in heaven smiling down that day on that meeting as I was bringing testimony of Jesus Christ. And these things were shown to me and many other things as I journeyed along my journey. You know, and then me and my wife were still in the temple not long after that with my wife and kids. That was the greatest day of my life. I never thought ever that I would ever be in the temple across the altar from my wife, being still in the temple, you know. Moving along, we many wonderful experiences. Like I gained a testimony in the temple. One night I was in bed and I'd been going to the temple quite a bit. I was worried that I was missing some promptings from the Holy Spirit, you know. I was concerned about it. So yeah. I'm like, Heavenly Father, you know, help me, help me, you know, understand when you're talking to me. Help me to really be able to hear you, you know. And the very next day, I go to the city office to pay my power bill for my business. And I get this strong prompting to go across the street to see one of my friends' mothers. Okay, I'm going. I hear you. I go over there and I knock on the door. She opens the door and she says, Tony, I heard you went to the temple. She'd give me a big old love and she'd tell me how proud she was of me. And she says, Tony, I have all these men's names in, in my family that I don't have anybody that can take them for me. Will you take them? Right. And she gave me 20 names, okay? I went every Saturday for 20 Saturdays and I took them. And I went back and I gave her the names and she gave me 20 more. <laughs> and I took them faithfully. Every chance I got, and it was almost every Saturday morning, wasn't it, Rick? Oh, yeah, the early session. Yeah. <laughs> I was up at 5 o'clock in the morning. I was going to Temple, okay, uh -huh. to Cedar City, yeah. And I got done with those, and I took them back to her, and I was handing them to her, and her husband came upstairs, and he's not really, he's kind of anti-church, anti-Mormon, and I was handing them to her, and, well, maybe not anti, but not really. He's poor. just not involved. And he's kind of like, well, how do you know they wanted to go to the temple? How do you know that's what they want? And I'm like, I don't yeah. know. And she looked at him and she says, it's all your family he took. And he just looked at me. And I watched him soften. 
And he turned around and he went back downstairs. He nodded his head and walked yeah. down the steps. And so mm -hmm. I thought I was doing these names for her, but Heavenly Father was doing them to get to him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he so cool. sees a lot farther than I do. Right. This is something I've learned as I've been serving him. That he sees way farther down the road than I do. You know, I'm looking right here in front of me and he's seeing 10 people down the road, you know, so. What a contrast. Listening to your story, we've been here for like 30 minutes, but listening to your story, literally how you were just like, everybody in the whole town kind of knew you as this man who was addicted to drugs, not there for his family, but was there for his family, but there was always something missing. And then Bree was over here like just suffering and suffering with this difficulty of her husband being addicted to drugs and then this contrast that the lord literally just saved all out of a blue and what out of blue here what what would breathe before okay let's hear it then so he made that comment that my dad said get it done right because he's had enough so the day before tony and i got into a pretty big fight. It was probably the biggest one that we had ever been in. And our oldest daughter was involved. Mm. Tony was not very nice to her that morning. And I had told him, what's between you and me is between you and me. But when it crosses over to our kids, with scenario changes, mm. I'm not going to tolerate that. I'm not going to let my daughters be collateral damage. I'm not going to do it. And so he crossed the line that morning and he was not very nice to her. And I just lost it, mm -hmm. completely lost it. And our middle daughter, she had rode the bus that morning. And, and my oldest, Bailey, she's like, I just feel like I need to stay here, mom. And Tony and I were arguing and she got in the middle of it and and he said something that was not very nice, and she told him to leave, and I was yelling at him. And How old was she at the time? Fourteen. Fourteen? Mm -hmm. And I called my dad, and I just told my dad what was going on. And, and he says, you know, I'm not in the best health, but by dang, I can take a two-by-four to him. You want me to do that? I can do that. I'm like... No, I just want you to come and get her and take her to school for me, though, Dad. So he came and and talked to her about going to school, and he talked her into going to school. And they walked out the door. And I was standing at my kitchen sink. And I just fell to the floor. I was just exhausted. And I asked Xavier to take him. We're fixing one of the two. But I could not continue where we were and i had prayed for my daughters continually because i know you know how hard that is when you're in that teenage time of your life it's so hard anyways and then to have your peers find out and it was kind of during some of the drug-free stuff during october and you know they bring out all the drug-free weeks and they, you know, they just bring all this stuff out and a little gal had made a comment to Peggy about her dad being an addict. And one of her good friends overheard it and 
she left and she called her mom and her mom called and told me, you know, what was going on. And that was all kind of part of this couple of days thing. And I was so mad because it had finally touched their shores. It finally, you know, become a part of their lives. And, and like I said, I had prayed so hard for my girls, you know, but I prayed for me. I prayed to be able to be strong enough to raise my girls without their dad and to have a good life and to be able to go forward and stop where we were. Just I just couldn't do it anymore. I just, I was exhausted. And I did. I just, oh man, yeah. just have those moments you're like what more like I am done what more and I just felt this incredible warmth just the same warmth that I had felt the day that I walked into the temple the same warmth just mm -hmm. I'm in control I have this and I'm going to take care of this well I can trust that the Lord is going to take care of that because things had been hard and I'd had some hard things in my youth with my parents and I was scared to death that my girls were going to go through the same thing. And the Lord basically told me, I'm in control, I have this and I'm going to fix this situation. Now, truthfully, <laughs> I was praying for a cliff, I'm not going to lie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> not for him to be fixed because I did not like Tony yeah. <laughs> at the time. I, I appreciated that he was a good dad. But I did not have, I always loved Tony because he is a good person and he's good to people. He was good to people in our community, you know, but I did not like Tony at all. I did not like him as a person. I didn't like him as a husband. I just thought I didn't like him. So too I, much hurt. I did secretly pray for the cliff, not, you know, not the fix, but yeah. I was grateful. But when, uh, next day when my dad walked into my house. And he walked in first. And he said, I need to talk to you for just a second. So I walked with him into my laundry room, into my back door area. And I said, trust me. Yeah, I do. He said, then I need you to listen to your husband. I promise it will be better. The things that I just witnessed on the tailgate. I promise they will be better. Like, Dad, I can't anymore. He said, I promise they will be better. And the scripture that just talks about, you know, how the hearts of the children turn back to their fathers. I wasn't active in church for a long time. And my dad had been excommunicated. He was obviously not active for a long time. And then... He became active. My grandma asked him for a gift on Mother's Day, and that was for him to go to church with her. Mm. And we all went. She called us, and she's, okay, I got your dad. He's coming to church, you know. And, and I had been going a little bit to my brother and my grandparents' ward with my, with my little girls anyways. And, and so it was like, oh, yeah, you know what, Grandma? That would be wonderful. So we all went, you know. I mean, it had been a really long time since my dad had been to church, and and I didn't really miss much after that, neither did my dad. And my dad picked me up every Sunday for church, and we went 
to church together and he picked up my little girls and we went we went to church together and then he went through the temple and took out his endowments and got his life back together and Noah's been a gospel doctrine teacher for a long time and then started teaching at the prison in the 12-step program at the prison and then was in the branch presidency so full circle you know things come full circle mm -hmm. and the Lord did not just fix Tony and I he fixed my dad and my relationship he took something that was broken and because of the Lord's help he fixed it literally you know and I was able to forgive my dad the same day that he asked me to trust Tony but it took me a couple of years to realize that I had, you know, fully forgiven my dad. And it took me about two years to completely forgive Tony and to accept that where we were, I could trust it. It wasn't going to, you know, it wasn't going to wash out burnout or burnout just yeah. completely because we'd been through that, you know, a handful of times. And, and, and that hope, I just always clung to that hope but before I went to the temple because my family my brother's active my sister is very active most of my family are active I don't have too many that were the sheep mm -hmm. <laughs> you know myself but when my nephews went to the temple before they went on their missions and just a handful of things you know I just remember sitting in the parking lot thinking am I sitting in the parking lot I should be in the temple. Mm. I am tired of sitting in the parking lot. I went, my sister called me one morning and she's like, hey, me and Ed are going to run down and go to the temple. Some friends of ours from Nevada, your daughter's being, you know, married today. Do you just want to ride down with us? And then I didn't, my kids were with, I think they were with your sister for overnight or something anyways. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm just sitting here. Mine as well, you know, better than just sitting at home. And, and so I went with her and my brother-in-law to the St. George Temple and, and got a parking spot right on the front row, which never happens. <laughs> and, and sitting in the vehicle, I just was sitting there and and just watching that revolving door. Have you guys ever been to the St. George Temple? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a revolving door. You know, it doesn't, it never opens and it never closes, right? I'm just watching that door and just thinking to myself, that door is not closed to me. All I have to do is push on that door. That's it. That's all I have to do. Barely. No effort. Because mm -hmm. I, I don't have any vices for me to not be in the temple. Why am I sitting in this parking lot? I'm done. Done with the parking lot. Yeah. And it's on a Saturday. Well, I go to church and the counselor in our bishopric, Robin Bradshaw, Brother Bradshaw, <laughs> I'm walking down the hallway. And he says, Sister Bree, I need to talk to you. I'm like, oh, you just gave me a calling. <laughs> like, I'm good, you know, and I like my calling. I'm good. And he goes, no, I need to talk to you. And, and so I went, you know, into the bishop's office and, and he said, I really have this strong feeling you're ready to go to the temple. I think you should start doing the temple classes. I'm like, oh, <laughs> boy, was that quick, you know, just that hand 
of the Savior. Just mm-hmm. so quick, just being able to see and feel the Savior's love. And then it just sparked that hope that, you know, okay, I'm going to take these temple classes. And I absolutely loved it. Everything in the temple class, it just brought so much peace to my heart and to my mind. And, and I went and had my patriarchal blessing. And Tony and, you know, and our two girls were able to, you know, go with me as, mm-hmm. you know, as I received that blessing. And, and there were very specific things in my patriarchal blessing that because of my faithfulness in the gospel, my husband would make the choice to join me and we would have an eternal family. And so I reflected back How long on was that. this before Tony's experience? Several years. Okay. <laughs> wow. Several years. And he had said that he'd gotten really negative after I went to the temple. He was really supportive when I said, hey, you know, this is where I feel like my life needs to go. And he's like, you know, what? I'm not going to hold you back. I would never do that. I really want you to do what makes you happy and what brings you that comfort. I'm like, okay, great. You know, so he was very supportive and I knew that that was the only direction that I could go. Mm. There was nowhere else for me to go but there. And Walking into the temple was this feeling that I had needed desperately in my life. And there it was. No, and I walked in and I, you know, went through the proceedings to take out my own endowment and sitting in there. And I just felt true comfort Mm. and peace sitting in the temple, but it was going to be okay. We have a caboose, Tony talked about. She was a gift, a true gift yeah, she was gifted. from being in, being in the temple. Because mm-hmm. uh, we were not able to have any more kids after our two older girls, and she was a true gift. She was. She's a father sent her to us to heal our family. I believe. A hundred percent. Yeah, I I knew sitting in the temple that that was going to be my gift. She was going to be my gift, and then coming out of the temple. Tony was standing across the street with my mom and my aunt. He was just watching me. He walked out of the temple. He gave me a big hug and he said, why are you crying? So I'm just happy. Mm. You just feel this peace and this warmth. I just don't know how to explain it. Gosh, I hope someday. You'll make that choice, you know, to experience that with me. And things were really good between us for a while, like truly good for a while. We didn't fight. Things were just different. Like there was just a different level of comfort in our house. Mm. And then, gosh, (laughs) he just started picking on me (laughs) About, (laughs) about, you know, my calling. I was in the young women. and. It was taking me away from him and, you know, my youngest daughter or my oldest daughter was, you know, of that age to be able to participate in young women's. And she, well, I got put in before she turned 12, but he just was really angry, you know, that my calling was taking me away. And, mm. and, um, cause we live in a smaller community, you know, everybody brings their kids when you have younger kids with you to young women's. If, I mean, that's just what you do. And so my, my middle daughter, Emery, she was able to go you know, with Bailey and I as well. And, and I, it was just a huge saving grace at the time. And 
then he progressively got more mean about it and would just throw these nasty, horrible things out that he got books from co-workers. He worked in Cedar for a minute and one of his co-workers was giving him all this anti-literature. And I'm like, you are dumb. I love you, but you are so dumb. You don't even know. And yeah. he used to say to me, you are riding on your dad's coattails. <laughs> your testimony, That's you're writing. Yeah. 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 And I'm like, no, someday you'll understand. You know, I, my testimony is mine. It does not come from anybody else, but from the Savior for mm. the experiences, the trials, the wonderful blessings. I have got a pretty rock solid testimony, obviously, because how else would we be here? Mm. I would not have gone forward in activity had it not been for the Savior. Mm -hmm. And we talk about grace quite a bit. That is one of our favorite things is grace. Yeah, Father. Yeah, it's just, it is such a huge part of my best friend. <laughs> of our lives, you know. Is, um, is it okay? Can we talk about, his name is Bob, right? Yes. If I heard yeah. you right. Yes. So I this whole time, I'm just thinking, there's this quote from Howard W. Hunter that's in my head where he talks about, Anything that the Savior's allowed to lay his hands on lives, right? Yeah. No matter how dead it was before. Yes. Whether it be your own individual lives, your relationship to each other, your relationship with your dad. But something else that's been into my, that's popped into my head over and over again is the principle that you brought up about with angels. Not only angels from heaven looking down on us, but angels all around us that we get to interact with, right? And it's such a powerful principle that your dad had been through the life that he had been through, mm -hmm. but he had developed that relationship with both of you where you could turn to him in your hour of greatest need, like probably of your whole life, like your hour of greatest need. Would you, can you guys just talk about Bob for a second and how he's been an angel in both your lives? So for me, Bob, the reason I called him that day is because I knew that he had been through divorce because of addiction. I knew that he had found his way and he had come back and he was doing good. And so I think, I really didn't even know why I called him. I, I just called him, you know, I think the savior had a direction in that he was guiding me, you know, I just, I, I'd lost, I was in anguish, you know, because I didn't really want to leave my family. Mm -hmm. So when I called him that day and he came to help me, Bob knew exactly what to do because he'd been working at the professional facility with addicts and he'd been there before. Yeah. And he'd been there before and he had found forgiveness himself. Now he told me that he found forgiveness himself. He was riding in his tractor out plowing in his fields because he's a farmer and he'd been out there for two or three days and the Lord had forgave him. Okay. So he knew what forgiveness was. He knew that the Lord could redeem anyone. So he applied the gospel to me. And let the Lord have a chance to, let me have a chance to turn to the Lord and be healed. Because Bob knew that that could happen. And Bob was very, Bob was very sensitive to the Spirit. And he is able to understand the things that the Spirit's telling him. And he's, he's got a gift. And I've seen him use it many times as I, as I taught at the correction facility with him. He was very, he was able to get the men out there to, to talk to him 
and to talk to their Heavenly Father in a way that they'd never really done before. Bob just had a way. He has understanding. And he's my best friend now. Me and him are best friends. And I love him. I respect him so much. And he gave me a lot of guidance to begin with, too, when I was first reading the scriptures. I would call him almost every day, something I'd seen in the scripture, and he'd talk to me about it. He was very good about that, very guiding, wonderful. He's very supportive with me, you know, because he he went in and he solicited basically to the church. He's like, listen, I want you to put him out to the correctional facility under my wing. <laughs> I'm gonna, you know, I'm going to help this happen. You know, and so they did. They, they gave me the calling out there with him as the branch president, and I was a teacher under him. And he was able to help guide me. I rode out with him every Sunday. We talked about the gospel and the Lord. And what he was doing, I was able to see miracles happen right in front of me. We meet him one day. I just barely got done telling a man my story. And Bob had told him his story. We both testified of our stories of how we were saved by the Savior. And one of the men in there, he asked for a blessing. He he had a little struggle in his life where he'd actually killed one of his friends. And he was in there for, you know, an accidental manslaughter type deal. And he wanted to know that he, he could be forgiven. So we gave him a blessing, and we asked the Lord if he would let this man know if he'd been forgiven. Well, we came back the next week, and this man came up to us and told us that he'd been forgiven. Wow. He found out from the Savior. He has, you know, it's beautiful miracle things. Like, these things happen out there in the correctional facility. Mm -hmm. And this man has made his way out of the prison, and he's very successful, got a family now. Yeah. Doing he's really well. an amazing person. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. It seems like the theme in that man's story, Bob's story, your story, I'd say Bree's story too, is trusting in the Lord. Mm -hmm. What does that like look like? Like if someone is like at their wit's end who's listening to this and they're like, I want to do that, but like what does that look like? How can you apply that principle in your life? Or how did you guys apply that principle in your life? I can say one thing. What I see, and as I've tried to help a lot of people, is a lot of people want that help. Okay. Yeah. And they're trying, but they're not willing to put both feet in. They want to keep one foot out for their favorite sin so they can still go hang out, have a cigarette, go do this one thing they like. They don't want to put both feet in and, and get what they want. So I thought my whole time that the gospel was restrictful and that I wouldn't be able to do whatever I wanted, whatever I wanted. Well, now I found out that since I live the principles of the gospel and the commandments, I'm more free than I've ever been in my entire life. I am, I am more free than I've ever been. Yeah. Why is that? That's because I'm free from guilt. I'm free from being sorry that I didn't do something, from not doing the right thing, from just anything that the chains of hell, things that drag you down, you know, sin of any kind. But I, you know, I still have to repent like any other yeah. person. But the bigger sins that regret, you know, those kind of things give the adversary a handhold on you, that he can pull you down and bring you back to your addiction, mm -hmm. okay? And this is what he does. He uses these little things to pull you back down, okay? And I call it the chains of hell because he'll use anything that you want. If you put both feet in and you go full blast, I mean, read the scriptures, go to church, do everything the Lord's telling you to do, you will escape and you will not come back if you stay on that you will not go back because, but if you want to keep one foot out 
So you can have a little bit of fun or you think on the side or slip off and do something. Then the adversary gets a little hand on you because you're guilty. He likes to tell you, call you guilty, the accuser of thy, thy brethren. Mm-hmm. Okay? That's why they say that in the scriptures. Revelations 12, you know. How did they overcome the accuser of thy brethren? Is by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimonies. Okay? And that's how we did it in the preexistence. That's how we're going to do it here. Okay? So you got to just really think about it. You've got to put both feet in and have a strong testimony. And if you put both feet in, you won't go back. But a lot of people are not willing to do that. And I've seen it a lot because Heavenly Father does not mess with your agency. He lets you choose this, you know? That, that, that principle of full commitment brings to mind, I don't know if you've ever heard the talk Come Unto Christ by Henry B. Eyring. It's a mm-hmm. BYU devotional from, mm-hmm. I think, the 80s or something like mm-hmm. that. But he talks about an experience where he was a bishop at the time and he had a young man come to him wanted to know if he had been forgiven because he was getting married to a beautiful young lady. And he's like, I need to be worthy to enter the temple and marry this girl that I want to spend eternity with. And Bishop Eyring at the time had, they had some sort of get together with, I think his uncle was Spencer W. Kimball, something like that. They were related somehow or father-in-law. I can't remember, but he ended up asking Elder Kimball at the time. He was an apostle. Like, how do what do I tell this kid that wants to know if he's forgiven? And Elder Kimball just went through this list. He's like, does he do his home teaching every month? Does he do it early? Does he show up to his meetings at church? Does he sit on the front row? Does he pay his tithing? Like all these little tiny things, like these things that we'd say, I don't know, quote unquote, little commandments that to Elder Kimball said he he was forgiven because his both of his feet were in, right? He wasn't holding anything back. He decided to commit himself fully to the Lord. There's something else, too. In your your repentance, you need to be brutally honest. Mm -hmm. And that is super important. You've got to be brutally honest with yourself and and face who you really are. I had to face who I really was, and I did not like who I was. You know, and that had to change. And also, it's like uh, something else, too, that like the Come Follow Me lesson this week. We just listened to it all the way up me and my wife. So there's... There's 10 lepers that were forgiven. Only one came back and was great. Yeah. So that is very important Mm -hmm. to be grateful and to come back to the Lord and to stay with him, you know, and work with him. That's the most important. So here's some things that happened. I want to, something I didn't tell you about either. It's after this happened to me, the Lord was sending people to my business and he was sending. A lot. 10 to 15 <laughs> people a day for me to testify to. I testified all day long wow. to people. And they went on for five, six years I did this. At first, was that hard to do, though? Yeah, it was. I was scared at first a little bit. I just thought, you know what? He said if I did this, he would save my family, and I would stand on his right. I'm going to do it. <laughs> and I did it. And you would not believe the miracles I've seen, the things I've seen. I've seen people find hope for the first time in their life. I watched people find out that God was real. I watched people find out that the atonement was real while I was testifying to them. I seen it with my own eyes. I didn't feel like I was worthy. Just, they were bawling their eyes out as I was telling them about what Jesus Christ had done. What? Because they knew what I was telling them was true. It's true. Because it is true. It was him. He came and he saved my family. He came and gave me a second chance. He saved my my wife's family. He helped heal her. He healed me. You know, 
I, it took me, I would say, a couple of years before my mind started working properly. But because of the scriptures, reading the word of God, that healed my mind. My mind was brought back to, to wholeness, to completeness. And it was because of him and his word and the spirit, the guidance he gave. You know, I want to, I want to make sure that I give the Lord the credit because in everything that I have told you, his hand was there guiding me the whole way. There was a lot of other things that happened. I, I woke up from a dream one night being told that if I went to the temple, I would be blessed. It was opening day of elk hunt and I had it. <laughs> and I put my tag on the counter and I went to the temple. Oh, man. Bless yeah, and I was person. blessed. There was things that happened that there's no words for. Yeah. You know, you, I, things happen in the gospel that cannot be explained to someone who has not experienced it. I would invite everyone to come and experience this, to give it a real honest try, and then see the things that start to happen, the spiritual experiences that will happen, and the, the uplifting, beautiful things that the gospel has to offer. Mm -hmm. A happy, joyful life. Something that I have a full life for the first time in my life. Full, wonderful life. Uh, with purpose. You know, I've been searching that for my whole life, trying to find it in, in, in everything I did, in playing on, with boats, working on cars, using drugs, running on party, looking everywhere, you know, just anything to, to be fulfilled. I never could quite get it. You know, I found a little, well, I was happy for a little while, but not complete, full joy and fulfillment. And now I have that with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's wonderful. Does. It sounds like in, in both of your stories, the the gospel in Christ is a very real person to you. He's he's very tangible and and that sounds like a relationship that you had to work on for a long time through the temple, through scripture study. How do you think that within your guys' marriage that has affected now you guys are living a completely different relationship than you did before? And how is navigating that and being able to I don't know, just love the gospel together, but also live within Christ together. I don't, I don't know if that makes sense, but. Oh, it's, it's a hundred percent better. Yeah. You know, Cause if, when you grow up, let's say you grow up, you know, similar to Tony, you know, and he didn't really have that both feet in, you know, to really know what that felt like. And then, you know, growing up both feet in, knowing what that feels like, knowing the peace that comes from that and then not having that in your life and then it comes back. Yeah. It's so much richer. It's so much more fulfilling. Not only just fulfilling, but it is, it brings with it security. No matter what is going on outside of the walls of our home, we're okay. And I mean, you know, we've had, you know, some hard things go on, you know, with yeah agency with children and, and different things, you know, but knowing that the Lord's hand is in every detail, big or small, you can get through it mm -hmm. and you can take it in stride and deal with it. You have strength that you don't realize you need, you know, from time to time, you have a better emotional way of dealing with things. Doesn't mean that your trials are less, but it makes them more bearable you have a, a toolbox now the lord and the savior the gospel is a toolbox mm. for every needful fix the gospel and the savior 
provide that specific tool. But here's one thing for me. Those tools don't just appear. Those tools have to be looked for, sought for, appreciated when they're found, and they have to be something that you're willing to use. You know, I, I know it that takes effort. And I, and I do, Tony and I are pretty big about for every consequence, there is, there, you know, for every choice, there, there's a consequence. It, whether it's good or it's bad, you're not free of the consequence from every choice. But if you have the tools that the gospel gives you to build your choices for those really great consequences, why wouldn't you do it? Mm -hmm. What is one thing that would stop you from doing that? Because I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt, yeah. with every fiber of my being, the Lord's details are the reasons we can go forward no matter what life's challenges are. It sounds like it's so, so worth it to do that too. Like at the end of the day, it's yeah. worth the the hard effort, yes. the consistency, the of of having to live a life close to the Savior. It's oh, yeah. it's worth it at the end of the day from what you guys had to go through. Well, yeah. Well, I'll just say this quickly: when when I went to the temple, I knew that the Lord was going to be in the details because that feeling was given to me yeah. sitting in the temple. That did not mean that my trial, they, that they were just gone, that they were, oh, poof, you know, they That's don't true. exist anymore. But I also had that undeniable, unshakable, it did not matter what Tony chose because I had made that choice. And I sat in a lesson about a year after, and it was on temple marriage and, you know, and eternity and stuff. And I just remember sitting in there and for a minute I was resentful. I'm like, mm hmm. And then this, again, this feeling, no, I am the detail. The Lord is the detail. You have to trust me. It is not about what you're reading on earth. It is about trusting me. So I knew regardless of what Tony chose, Lord is not going to take my children from me. The Lord is not going to punish me for his agency. If I do everything that he asks me mm. to do, his grace will cover every earthly slice that doesn't come together. The that's, Lord that's takes such care faith. of that. Is such faith. Mm -hmm. I want to say something too. I, I want to see how thankful I was for the church and the, and the church structure and program. Because as I started to get involved in the church, I knew nothing about the, the structure of the church, you know. As, and so as I started as a teacher, then I ended up in the elders quorum, presidency twice. And then I'm now I'm in the bishopric as second counselor. Through this process, I was given opportunities by the Lord and by, and by the church to like minister to people. And through this ministering, I was praying for people. And Heavenly Father was giving me mm -hmm. inspiration to just go see them to go visit them. And these beautiful things happened as I was going to see them. Like we were going out visiting one night as an elders quorum. And I was looking through the directory on our, our ward. And I'm like, oh, wow, that name sticks out. I, you know, maybe we ought to go out there. So we headed out there. We were going out there. I just looked over to the house and I thought, we're supposed to go there. 
And so we pulled over in there and we had this wonderful, beautiful spiritual visit with a, a husband and wife that were struggling severely. You never would have known it, you know, and we didn't know that. And driving home one day from work, I had a prompting to pull over to a friend's house, an old friend's house. I pulled over there. I just listened to prompting. I just turned on the street instantly. And I pulled her and he was sitting on his back porch crying. His wife had just left. This is the Lord directing me. Okay. And these, these experiences were happening because I was involved in the church. I'd taken a calling. I was praying for the people in the, in my ward and I was trying to be aware of what they needed. And the Lord guides you because you're willing, you're willing. And so he was guiding me. And so I was getting all these wonderful spiritual experiences were gifted to me because of my willingness to go and do what the Lord asked me to do. And so I would say, if you're willing, and the Lord knows you're willing, and you're trying, not just saying, hey, Lord, I'm willing, but hey, Lord, I'm willing. I'm going to look at all the names. I'm going to pray for these people. I'm going to maybe go over and visit them and see if they're okay. And then these things can happen. These beautiful spiritual, spirit-to-spirit experiences with, with people that the Lord loves and that you come to love too and, and be a part of their lives. That's awesome. You know, it's wonderful. The gospel is wonderful. The church is wonderful. I love it. I love now that I get to like, I get to do interviews for temple recommends. I get to visit with people. I get to do setting aparts and callings and just wonderful things that they are so beautiful. Baptism. I love baptisms. Mm-hmm. I love going to baptisms. I had to be able to, to baptize my daughter's husband. He came from the FLDS. She married, she, I baptized him and they were married a short time later. And it was just a wonderful experience for me. I've been able to baptize friends' kids. Just beautiful things that I would have never experienced. And to see the hope and peace it brings to their lives. You know, spreading this hope. I think spreading hope is what the Savior really wants us to do. To, to tell our stories, to tell our experiences. So, if you think about it, when I tell my story, I'm not preaching to someone. I'm telling a story about what God did for me. And so people accept it a lot easier. The first thing I ask mm-hmm. is I ask them, do you believe in God? And whether they say yes or no, my, my next, the next thing I say is, can I tell you a story? And they always say yes, every one of them. Whether they're atheist, they don't believe in God, they do. And then I tell them the story and they feel the spirit. They know that what I'm telling them is true. And they are able to use that. And Heavenly Father takes care of the rest. We let him, I let him take care of the rest. You know, just like when you think about the sons of Mosiah, if you read the scripture very carefully, in the sons of Mosiah, what did they do after they met the angel? They went about telling their stories what had happened to them. And then those that would listen, they taught the gospel to. So that's what that's you use. I use that as a principle because mm-hmm. that's the same thing he's having me do is tell my story. And then if they're willing to listen, then you can teach the gospel. So that's awesome. Yeah. Your service in the church, you were able to find more of a purpose of, of why you were saved at the well, end of the day. That's awesome. Taught so much like about this, the structure of the church. I love the structure of the church. It's helping me in my own life, yeah. in my personal life. Yeah. I mean, I apply a lot of the principles in my personal life. It's helping me to better take care of my business, my life, structure. You know, I love it. I 
I love the things that it does and what it what it what it promotes. Yeah, you know, it's beautiful. It's just a wonderful, beautiful program, and and you get to be there with this with the spirit and with Heavenly Father and be edified and just like have revelation and just things that weren't available to me before. Yeah, you know, and I've been able to go to the emotional resilience classes. I love those. The financial classes. I love those. You know, and the addiction recovery and the twelve step. I love going to those when I when I don't have young men's. I try to slip over to one of them on Wednesday, and and those are wonderful. Yeah. You know, we have some very good people there too. Have had some wonderful experiences too. Became free. I think a lot of times the people who have escaped from the chains of hell actually have an insight on what other people are struggling with. Yeah. You know, they people are more likely to talk to them because I have a lot of people come and talk to me that. Won't talk. They won't really talk to other people. And I try to direct them to the bishop because he is the Lord's servant here yeah. to take the, you know, to judge for them to talk to. Yeah. Israel. He is the judge of Israel. Yes. That's awesome. Well, isn't it when you hear that the Lord loves effort? Yeah. Right? I mean, that's what the gospel is, but it's the best effort. It's the most rewarding effort. The most fulfilling. It is because it doesn't come with any kind of negativity. Every effort that you put forward in the gospel bring something positive and bring something good to your life. Your life and others. Yeah. Let's say. Oh, I've looked at, you know, I mean, where Tony has been in his life, like my family will be in certain communities and, you know, and then they're like, oh, you're from Beaver. And no, like my sister was just recently someplace. I'm not sure if she's talked to you about it or not, but (laughs) so I'm not going to say where she was, but she was someplace just recently within the last couple of weeks. And she ran into a lady there and and she's like, oh, didn't you move to Beaver? You know, just kind of had a conversation. And she's like, yeah. And she's like, wait a minute. I think it's your brother-in-law. My son just was on his way somewhere and just said, I've got to stop in Beaver. I have to stop in Beaver. And why would you want to stop in Beaver? I don't know what I have to stop in Beaver. And he struggles with addiction and struggles with some major stuff. And he stopped at... Tony's business on Main Street and Tony testified to him and he has gone home and told his parents that he's got to figure out how to move forward with some more help in his life and just (laughs) you just never know where you're going to be we can tell you one more that's a really good one (laughs) yes please oh yeah I remember yeah so we were sitting at home my wife's like Tony somebody's out back I think it's a chainsaw or a weed or a motorcycle or something it's some kind of a funky little like, motor there's nobody out <laughs> and there's back. lights in the wash a, on a 500 acre farm and we're the only house <laughs> and I'm like you know I'm like there's nobody out there she goes yeah there is so I went out and looked I came back in and I'm like there's nobody there honey and we're sitting there talking she goes I know I heard something and, and I seen lights in the yeah, wash and she said she sees some lights and, <laughs> and so about five minutes later my daughter says dad there's somebody over the fence there with a light on I'm like I went out there and there was a guy standing over with the headlight on. And I'm like, hey, you all right? And he says, yeah, I'm okay. I'm like, what's going on? He goes, I just crash landed. I'm like, you crash landed? What? So actually from the <laughs> sky. You, you crash landed. And he goes, yeah, I crash landed over here on a paraplane. I'm like, dude, it's dark. He's, <laughs> like, oh, he's like, I was flying with my headlight. I'm like, you're crazy. <laughs> Not like a little itty bitty. Flashlight. Like a little camping so light. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, you know, come over here and I'll help you. He got over the fence and I helped him get his paraplane over the fence. And I'm like, well, where are you parked? Where's your truck? I'll, I'll take you to your truck. And when he told me, I knew why he was there. Um, I knew why. 
because I took, I picked him up and I got him up the road and I asked him if he believed in God and he told me yes. And I told him my story and he just started bawling. Mm -hmm. And he said that he was addicted to meth and he was on his last leg and he didn't know what to do. He was up there flying around, didn't care whether he lived or died. He was hoping he was going to die. He was hoping he was going to die. And Heavenly Father dropped him in my backyard and sent him to me to tell him about Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ, what he could do. He said his father was a patriarch in the church and he tried to, his grandfather was and tried to help him many times. So I, I got him to his, his camp where he was camped in his truck and invited him to church, but I'd never seen him again. I'm hopeful that the Lord took over from there and yeah. gave him a second chance. But, well, the Lord does these things. If you're willing, he will keep, he'll bring people to you. Yeah, just bring people to you, you know, Miracles. people that need help, but that you, you can, you can really help the Lord turn them to him and, and let them know that there is hope for them. That's awesome. He can heal them. He'll heal them if they'll, if they'll, if they'll give, give it all, you know, give it all. This, is, this has been such a faith-filled <laughs> conversation. Like I'm just, I just feel filled with light right now. And I think I just wanted to reiterate something that you said earlier. A principle of, of true conversion, I think, is our willingness to spread hope to others. Mm -hmm. And I think you two telling your stories everywhere is spreading hope to so many other people. And that shows conversion to the Savior's Atonement. I think we want to, we have a, our last question that we always ask every guest that comes on. And our podcast is called Into the Light because we like to bring these principles that are, these stories that are usually like, people that have been in the darkest of places that have come into the light of the gospel through the Savior's atonement. And we, we always want to ask, what is, what is one thing that, we'll start with you, Bree, and then we can finish with sure. you, Tony. What is one thing that you would want to bring into the light from the experiences that you've had in your life so far? Um, no, truthfully, don't sit alone in your, where you're at. Mm -hmm. Seek people's help. Don't be ashamed or afraid because there are more chances that somebody is going to be able to relate and help you or even just be willing to talk to you and listen. That was a huge thing for me is sitting in the dark by myself mm. because I was afraid of what somebody else's thoughts were going to be. You know, somebody Their else's judgment, judgment, a hundred percent, a hundred percent somebody else's judgment. It's like, no. The way to get into the light is to open up every door, open up every window. And you have to be willing to share your hard truth. It's a big thing. Yeah. You know, sharing your truth. <laughs> you can appreciate that. But being willing to ask for help is the biggest way to shed light on your darkness. Mm -hmm. And not being afraid of asking for help. Because we cannot do it by ourselves. And... The Lord does not expect us to do it by ourselves. He wants us to reach out. There are people out there that need those blessings from us asking for their help as much as we need their blessing of help. Mm -hmm. And That's I've beautiful. just looked at my family, you know, because they were very instrumental. My brother and my sister and my mother, very instrumental in Tony and I and, and in our family and being able to move forward, you know. and if they weren't willing to help us because it was hard, because it was a hard situation, Tony 
picked on my sister a few times, and he really didn't pick on my brother, but my brother's a really quiet person anyways, but he he did let Tony know, you know, he's aware of the situation, Mm -hmm. you know, and he had my back. But had they not been willing to help because our situation was hard and people are afraid of getting involved, we probably wouldn't be here right now, you know, had they not been willing to be involved. So when you're talking about into the light, that is including somebody else in your darkness because Mm -hmm. you cannot stay in the dark by yourself. It's such a theme with everybody we've talked to. Yeah, you can't, you cannot sit in the dark by yourself because it will, it will chew you apart and it does not leave anything, no scraps. The darkness does not leave scraps, no. But when you welcome people in your, your pillars of light, get brighter and brighter because with them they bring their testimony with them they bring their feelings of the gospel they bring with them their testimony of jesus christ mm-hmm. and that expands our personal light that expands that opportunity for us to walk into the light because they are helping to shine that light that's awesome thank yes. you so much free that was yeah and my daughters i have to say <laughs> we our two older daughters are complete rock stars aren't they yeah. Tom? <laughs> they are modern day warriors they're good girls who have walked but they are both so willing to help others my, my son-in-law felt a yes just a great kid oh i hated this poor kid and i was not nice to him dang it thomas i love you if you listen to this i'm sorry <laughs> but but allowing somebody else to come into the light is, is, is again, not being afraid. And this poor kid, I did. I tortured him. I told sitting at the dinner table, I was not nice to him. But I'm like, listen, I love the best I, for my girls. I worked my can off and I gave everything I had for my family to be saved. I sacrificed a lot for my family to be saved. And I am not willing to allow somebody else's agency to destroy that, right? Well. Then before, so before he was baptized, I was literally standing in my garage and I was having a a conversation with my sister and I was venting for a minute. And then I got really, really quiet. And she's like, are you okay? I'm like, I'm absolutely okay. And she's like, what just happened? Like, that was really weird. And I said, literally, the Lord just told me I'm in control. You have to trust me. And I had forgotten to Keep that continued trust in the Savior just that quick. I had let the adversary in to bring that darkness back into my life. And just immediately, my heart was humble, my soul was softened and open for this great man to step into my daughter's life, whether he chose to be baptized or not, because the Lord promised not only Tony, but he promised me the day that I walked into the temple wow, that he would never forsake my family. That is, again, trusting in the Savior and letting others into your life that bring their light, that bring their that. goodness with them. So, Thank you so much. What yeah. about for you, Tony? Well, I wouldn't be grateful if I didn't thank all the people that had been there for me because I, I'd, I'd reached out quite a few times for priesthood blessings before this happened to me. Hmm. And I'd received probably three or four different priesthood blessings trying to escape. And 
I want to be, I want to let them know how thankful I am for them and the people that, that rallied around me after my conversion and, and, and helped me and, and kind of guided me and stuff like that, put up with me, you know, and, but I want everybody out there to know that you may not think you're worth it, but Heavenly Father likes to use the unlikely to accomplish the impossible. Yep. And you are the unlikely, and he will help you accomplish the impossible. Because with him, nothing is impossible. And you can do it. And I want, these, I want the people out there that listen to know that they can do it. All they have to do is trust in the Lord. He will rebuild the purpose that he has for them. And if they do what he wants, they will be happier, more fulfilled in their lives than they could have ever imagined. That's the message I want. That's beautiful. Your guys' testimony and faith is beautiful. Energizing. That's what it is. (laughs) (laughs) I want to go out, run a mile now and just tell everybody (laughs) about the gospel. Yeah. I'm so grateful for your guys' vulnerability in in your story here today because I think it's going to bless a lot of people's lives. The, The principles that we taught don't only apply to addiction. But they're very relevant in in the lives of everyone, I think. And I'm very grateful for the hope and the spirit that was here today because it's the the testimonies that you guys have. It just emulates truth. And and that's what the Savior is. And I think that's what we try and bring. Every episode on this podcast is is, is the truth. And the thing that's crazy is you don't have to believe a, a word any of us said, but you could try it yourself through prayer and through testimony. And yeah. Absolutely. Thank you, Tony and Bree, so much for coming on the podcast. We appreciate and we love you both. <laughs> well, thanks for having us. That yeah, was fun. I just want to tell you guys how thankful I am for my wonderful wife and for her strong faith. She is amazing. And, oh. You know, we've drawn to, I was telling her the other day how much I appreciate her and how much I love her for the person she is, for the faith she has and how Years. wonderful she is. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I want her to have the husband that she always deserved to have. Mm-hmm. I want to be that person for her. I should have always been, you know, for her. And I'm going to make sure that I am that for her and for my kids because that's what I want to be for them. I want to be that rock. I want to be that place they can go that's safe. I want them to look at me and know that I am a solid foundation for them, that I will always be there and be in right and truth for them because that's what I need them to know. And the Heavenly Father has made that possible for me to be that for them. And I want him to know how thankful I am for him. That's awesome. We, we've seen the beauty of y'all's relationship here, too. That's, In that's, one short hour. That's, <laughs> that's the enabling power of Christ's atonement right yeah. there. Thank you it's both. The truth. Thank yep. you both so much. And thank you all for listening to this episode. We love all of our listeners. And we hope that you've gained something from this episode. And please reach out to us with, with anything that, any questions you might have, anything else you might want to hear from Tony and Bree. We love you so much. Love you. Have a good one, y'all. See you next week.